might be good to just get up and have a bit of a stretch. Everybody's just been sitting there for a while, and this is going to be about an hour, so, you know, you might need to... Yeah, just get up and have a bit of a stretch, people, and... <laughs> yeah, you can switch those on. <laughs> Don't get too carried away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Helen mentioned earlier in the service that um, we're, we're launching into a series exploring scripture and the role that it has uh, in our communal life and in our individual lives. And we've just titled it, Eat This Book, Finding Nourishment in Christian Scripture. So today really is a bit of an introduction to this series that we're going to explore together and dig into. And I want to read a passage of scripture first of all, and then just offer some reflections uh, arising from that passage and this experience of these disciples of Jesus, um, these early followers of Jesus. It's taken from Luke chapter 24, a passage that will be familiar to many. Now, on that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you are walking along? They stood still looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place here in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, to set Israel free. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they didn't find his body there, they came back and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said. But they didn't see him. And then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Wasn't it necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. 
going to return to this text as we reflect here today. But I just want to start by thinking a little bit about some messages that I got as a kid um, growing up. Mum always tried to slow me down um, and all of my brothers down when we were eating. There was limited food supply in the house. Well, that was one reason. And when you've got eight boys and limited food resource, um, it's a bit of a mission kind of controlling feeding time. Um, but, you know, she was constantly telling us to slow down, to take time to chew our food. Um, all we were doing was thinking, if there are seconds, I want to make sure I get some. Um, you know, don't wolf it down or you'll choke. These were some of the messages. You won't get the nutrient value your body needs if you don't eat more slowly. And, and other things that were said to us just around, you know, food and eating. And um, I was thinking of this in, in terms of this whole idea of what it means for us to uh, communally and individually be nurtured by the food that is known as the Christian scriptures. The title of, of the series, some of you will recognize, is taken from a book that was written by Eugene Peterson some years ago um, called Eat This Book, Finding, um, Eat This Book, The Art of Spiritual Reading. Got a little copy here for those. The cover no doubt has changed since I bought this one. But um, a great little book looking at the, the place of Christian scripture in the tradition of the Christian church over the years, but also looking particularly at ways that we can engage with scripture and it can be more, um, it can nurture us in our traveling and in our living and in our faith journeys. Um, it takes a particular look, for instance, at things like Lectio Divina and how we can make that a more meaningful practice in our lives. But so the... The series was partly prompted by some thoughts we're having about this, but also partly prompted by some conversations we're having with young adults in the church where they have been raising questions for us, um, bringing some of those questions even to us as a governance team and saying, you know, in the church, you know, what, what, what are some of the, what, what, what does the church or people in the church understand by the inspiration of the gospel? What place does the scriptures have? How does it shape our theology and our understanding of certain aspects of God? Topics like judgment or justice or hell or, or these other topics that kind of sometimes aren't engaged with us frequently. So there have been some challenges there. A whittle, a challenge laid down by the young adults in our church saying, you know, how, does, how do we engage with Scripture around some difficult topics, but how does it nurture us in our living? What place does it have? So the thing about, I guess, engaging with this topic is moving it from something which just becomes a head trip, a, a, an exercise in, in grappling with ideas and concepts and theories into a space where it genuinely nourishes us as people. In our, in our living. How can the text find a way into our thinking, feeling, and behaving, our breathing, our living, and our growing? And, um, and what might help or hinder this kind, of, uh, this kind of exercise in our lives? More specifically, how can we engage in Scripture in ways that will develop faith, hope, and love truth, beauty, and goodness in our lives. 
because there's plenty of ways demonstrably that we can engage with Scripture where it doesn't produce those things. Sadly, the track record of, of uh, the Christian church's engagement with Scripture has left many people looking on bewildered because it seemed to engender hatred, animosity, pride, um, divisiveness within the lives of the people who profess to be reading a book which is connecting them to a loving God. So clearly there are ways that we can engage with Scripture that don't produce what it's intended to produce. So coming back to this passage now of Scripture, early followers of Jesus were taught by Jesus himself to feed on Scripture, to let their, their faith and their hope and their love be nourished through engagement with this book. And it's really interesting in that little passage that we read that, that Jesus takes the, these couple of bewildered and grieving disciples who thought that it was all over when it was really only the beginning of a new story and carries them back into their sacred scriptures, their Hebrew scriptures. And from those scriptures paints a picture that they had never seen before of who the Messiah would be and what role the Messiah would take in the world and what the nature of rescue and restoration would really look like in the world. Because they had a, many of them had a nationalistic, mili militaristic view of what this Messiah figure would achieve that was referenced in their scriptures. And Jesus turns that on his head and says, you've been seeing it all wrong. You've been reading it all wrong. It's not saying what you think it's saying. The picture that you have of God is different from the picture that is really there. And what Jesus does is when he finishes that, is he also takes them to a table where he shares food. He breaks bread. He gives thanks to God. And then the scripture says it's like he disappears and they left wondering. And they say, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures on the way? So Jesus gives them new eyes to see Scripture in a new way so that they can live out a new way of being. So not just to give them some new you know, ideas, a, new, a reset in their theology, but a reset in their living. Jesus shows them that the Scriptures aren't there as, if you like, um, some form of mystical food. But, but these raw ingredients that are contained within the stories and the narratives and all this varied literature that is there with all its different genres are woven together in a way Jesus um, shows them that calls them into this new way of being. It's interesting in another place when Jesus is speaking with a group of um, people who have come to hear him teach, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because in them you think that you have eternal life. And he says, these are the very scriptures which testify about me, bear witness to me, but you will not come to me in order that you may have this life. And it's like he's saying you're engaging with these scriptures, but they're not bringing you to the place where the life of God your creator can be released in you through the trust relationship with him that can be found through me. 
Peterson writes in his book, the, the Bible's not a jar of fortune cookies to be broken up at random. It's not an astrological chart to be manipulated for amusement or profit. It's to be read as a connected, coherent whole rather than an, a, a collection of inspired bits and pieces. And this is what Jesus was doing in this encounter. He was saying, here's the story, here's the narrative, and this is what it's all about. And when you get this great drama of Scripture with Jesus, with the Messiah as the centerpiece revealed in Christ, then the rest of the story starts to find its place and make sense. It's an interesting event on another occasion where Jesus has a religious scholar come to him, a Hebrew scholar, and um, and he, he's, he quotes the great commandments from the Torah, from Deuteronomy and from within the, the, the literature of the law. Um, and Jesus asks him, how do you read this? Not, not what did you read, but how do you read this? And so there's this underlying question of not what are you reading or are you reading it, but how are you reading? What impact is this actually having on your way of being and your way of life? So Jesus taught his own disciples to read the scriptures. Of course, they were the Hebrew scriptures that were available to them at the time. The story of how the Christian scriptures came to be is another story. And we'll dig into some of that during this time that we spend together. But this feeding on scripture was largely done noticeably in groups rather than individuals two, three, four, or more gathering around with Jesus and exploring the Scripture together. Dining on Scripture was more of a communal than an individual experience. I've often thought about this. I, I grew up in an era where the way the sharing of the good news was done was after getting somebody to pray a prayer of commitment to Christ was often followed by giving them a book. And one of the first things that it said in that book was you need to read the Bible. It was kind of on your own. And then the last one was you need to go to church. Usually, <laughs> You know, kind of had these five or six things. And many of you would have given out these books in your time as well. Maybe you still do. But this, it, it struck me as I look more closely at Scripture that, that actually the linking in with the community and the discovery of Scripture together and the dialogue and the questioning and the debating and the doubting and the exploration was done not by individuals sitting alone with some kind of personal hotline to God, but by communities of people indwelt by the Spirit, seeking together to listen to the voice of God. And this is actually our Baptist tradition. This is actually a strength within our movement of churches that we need to rediscover. It's actually been stolen from us. And our way of following in the footsteps of Jesus has become so highly individualized that we've lost the capacity to listen together, I think. And Jesus demonstrates this even with these two here. There are so many metaphors in Scripture and pictures of, of um, Scripture itself as food. But I want us to think a little bit more about just how, what are the practices that help us to ingest Christ through engaging with Scripture? 
How can the life of Christ find its way into our living and our loving as it's meant to? Because ultimately, that's where it leads. If it's not fulfilling that purpose, then it's, there's, there's, it's a purposeless engagement in one sense. The shaping of our lives in the way of Jesus is what we're aiming for. Peterson says that Holy Scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or, uh, or, or use Scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in a way that gets metabolized into bodily acts of love. I think this is one of the problems with online you know, discussions. It's just this, this, combat, this, this battle of ideas which doesn't engender lived out love in the lives of the people often who are engaging in those online battles. And forums and 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 so on. It's in in flesh and blood communities like this one here, where we are learning to live out the way of Jesus, that we can best learn to listen to Scripture together. Augustine of Hippo, who was a Augustine of Hippo, <laughs> it was a place in in the Middle East, but um, in fact, is it in the Middle East? Have you? Al, can you correct my – it's in North Africa. There you go. Thank you. So um, Augustine was a one of, uh, one of the notable church fathers. Some of you will have uh, read some of his – read about him and perhaps read some of his writings. But this is what he said. Whoever then thinks that he understands the Holy Scriptures or any part of them, but puts such an interpretation upon them as does not build up his twofold love for God and our neighbor – does not yet understand them as he, she, or they ought. You see where it's all heading? It's not an end in itself. It's a means to this great end that we would be formed and shaped in the way of Jesus. I have a good friend who is Māori, and he went to a granddaughter's wedding. The granddaughter was marrying the son of a pastor. And he was allowed, and I use that word deliberately because it took a long time for him to get to this place, as the koro, as the grandfather, to pray a prayer for his, his uh, granddaughter as part of this wedding ceremony. So he, he prepared himself accordingly, and at the moment when it was um, appropriate in the service and he was indicated, uh, indication was given by the celebrant, he came and he prayed his prayer. And many of those present, of course, were Māori, and so uh, the, the real was the language of many of the people there. And uh, he had asked permission if he could just, just in this instance, on this occasion, because it was special for these people, um, Deliver the prayer in his in his language, but provide a, a written copy of the the prayer to others. So the oral um, giving of the prayer was in his language, but it was available to others. So in this instance, the prayer was prayed. This this um, following Sunday, the pastor returned to his church and gave a version of events about what had happened. 
And the version of events went something like this. Um, the person didn't give all the detail, but nearly everybody in this church community knew that the pastor had been at a wedding and a, a Māori person had had a karakia at this um, at this wedding and had uh, offered a prayer to to uh, the demons or to uh, to Atua, who he described as, as not being God, and uh, gave a, a description of this event that was completely contrary to what had happened. Uh, the prayer was delivered by a Christian Māori in just simply his own language. I don't know how you would respond in a situation like that. Somebody publicly shaming you, publicly telling a story about what happened, which was untrue, um, and it being in the context of something so intimately related to who you, you are and your, your, your family, your whanau. I know what this man did. He contacted the person and asked for some time patiently wrote out an explanation again of what the prayer had been about and that this characterization was, was not correct. Asked if he could have coffee and a sit down with the pastor to explain where he had got this wrong. Um, extended grace and forgiveness and amazing, amazing um, restraint. And I ask myself, two people reading the same Bible, behaving in two different ways, who was reading it through the eyes of Jesus? Who at the end of the day embodied the way of being that the Scriptures are meant to produce in us? With all of our failing and our stumbling and our ineptitude, you see, ultimately, this nourishment from the Christian scriptures is to form us in the way of Christ. I'm really hoping and praying that over these weeks, as we do that and we share and we learn from one another, that we'll find some ways that our confidence in scripture as a means for this nourishment can be recovered for some of us who find our relationship with the Bible may be a little bit difficult for different reasons at this stage. Or that others will find, too, that faith, hope, and love can grow within them through this. What helps you feed on Scripture? What's hindered your ability to feed on Scripture? What might help you in the next stage of the journey? These are questions we'll continue to ask ourselves. We'll take a moment, just in case there's someone here this morning who has something that's just kind of sitting in their heart relative to this, that, um, that would be good to share with the rest of us as a family. What helps you to feed on Scripture? And what hinders your ability to do that? And what might help us together to be able to receive this nourishment? Just a couple of questions. If you want to come and just respond to that, maybe there's something else that's not related to those questions at all, but it's just kind of stirring, then feel free. We'll take a couple of minutes to do it.
Rory Tokoingua. Um, so the latest book I've been reading is Kafafai Tonumatu Mato, which is The Struggle Without End by Rangi Nui Walker. Um, it was re revised in 2004 or something, so it's not super up to date. Um, but uh, where to go with what Sean said? Um, there is, like, I just found it amazing reading some of New Zealand history from Maori perspective and how um, settlers have arrived in New Zealand, or the, the colonizer people of my um, cultural heritage have arrived in New Zealand um, thinking that they have had a monopoly on the truth. And um, there is a lot of wisdom in uh, European culture, but so often um, it seems to be that um, Māori have embraced the teaching of the Bible better than what the European sort of neoclassical economic model seems to um, embrace, well, seems to understand. And like, I, don't know, I think the, the Western culture is incredibly efficient at doing life and allocating resources, but um, sometimes misses the bigger point. And I keep on coming back to the, um, to the thought that I feel the, the Bible that we read was an indigenous document. It was written by an indigenous pre-Western um, colonial, uh, Western um, economic, uh, free market economic, um, the enlightenment, pre-enlightenment people. And so when you read the Bible from an indigenous standpoint, I think that sometimes, often, you can get closer to what um, Jesus and God and the prophets were um, trying to communicate to us. Does that make some sort of sense? Does that tie in with... <laughs> Hello, Malcolm. Um, there are just, I guess, two moments in my life which I can look back on that have been helpful for this. The first was when I was around 20, I was given a book on hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. And that moved me towards looking at things um, in the context. So rather than looking at a verse, I would look at the chapter. Rather than looking at the chapter, I'd look at the whole book. I'd look at things like who it was written to, why it was written, what it was responding to, uh, how it fitted into the whole big theme. And um, that was really helpful for me because I'd grown up in a hair-splitting, nitpicking environment where you could base your whole life on you know, half a verse. Um, so it was really helpful. But I guess the second big movement was just coming to understand that the Bible that we have is full of poems and parables and letters to other folk. And that's the way it seems that God has found it best to express himself and how we should uh, understand 
something that's much bigger than words. So I think, you know, I grew up thinking that I could define God and who he was and understanding that poems and parables both kind of uh, expressed by Jesus and others but also lived by Jesus were really important ways to understanding that's something that's so much bigger. And it also allowed me to move away from just this Bible as the only source of truth. So um, it enables me to accept that Lord of the Rings, which is an imagination, is also an expressing truth. It enables me to see that art and poetry uh, and my interactions with my friends are all truth-bearing um, faculties that can bring truth to me, which is of something that is bigger than I will ever understand. Kia ora, I'm Catherine. Um, I was thinking about what you were saying, Sean, in the context of ageing. And when I was a child, uh, I was encouraged to memorise lots and lots of scripture, which for me um, was a bit tedious at the time, but now I'm very grateful for that uh, gift because I now have big chunks of scripture that have kind of just been, um, I don't know, absorbed into my being um, and are very useful uh, for me at, at various times of life. Um, but as I have aged, I've found it really difficult to um, memorise anything. <laughs> um, and um, I've, I also find it really difficult to, to process information. Um, well, not really difficult. Uh, I find it less easy as I did when I was uh, I was younger, and so now when it comes to scripture, I can't um, as much as I'd like to. I can't kind of tuck it away in a part of my brain and recall it on on demand. But for me, um, sitting with pieces of scripture uh, over long periods of time and kind of. Uh, sucking the marrow, so to speak, out of a out of a phrase or a verse or a um, a poem um, or a passage has helped me to not so much be able to just um, remember the phrase, but to absorb the gist. And I think um, you know, I, th I think that the Bible is full of um, gist. <laughs> that um, is all about God's love for, um, for us and how to express our love back to him and to others. So, yeah, memorising and sitting with and absorbing. I was just um, thinking about the, the roots. You were talking about the roots, and we tend to think about roots as an individual root system for a tree, but actually root systems for forests are interconnected and, and uh, interdependent, and there's even you know, biology which suggests that there's communication that happens at a root level. And I just thought that was a beautiful image as we, as we like you were talking about, process scripture and, and 
and create life together. It's a it's an interdependency, which is cool. Um, I'll just do the English teacher lens on it, eh? Um, I mean, we're engaging with a text, right? And so all those things about context, so important. Purpose, et cetera, audience. Um, but I think also um, storytelling, and storytelling has always been part of entertainment value. Um, and I don't know, we started doing um, Macbeth this week with my year 10s, and there's this line right at the start, unseamed me from navel to na uh, navel, something anyway, and this great image of like, unzipping, it's quite gory, sorry, um, but that Shakespeare for you, um, but just the sheer playful joy in doing something with language that gets a response, like, I do think, um, you know, there's, you can absolutely misread a text, but you can also read any text in, a nu in numerous ways, and you can, you can, like, something like sucking the marrow out of it is such a lovely way of putting it like it and that comes from a text too doesn't it that comes from uh dead poet society um and that just kind of letting whatever lands on you land on you i think is quite like having some fun with it um not approaching it like the the english teacher that made you want to unseam yourself um where you just like have to kind of analyse it to death and if you haven't got the answer right then you're thick and like to analyse it but to analyse it from a place of like kind of digging in the garden and seeing what kind of weird and wonderful bugs you can find like when you're a kid and you're not scared of getting dirty um, yeah have some joy and discovery Got far now. Um, Chris, um, yeah, I grew up in a non-church family and became a Christian going, going to uh, Youth for Christ events and listening to people like Ray Comfort. And, and, um, and if you ever get a chance to listen to Ray Comfort, he certainly isn't comfortable to listen to. Um, anyway, <laughs> and then I found myself going to church with, um, with an auntie and sitting there going, yeah, um, it's interesting what they say in church. I don't know if I agree with them. Um, having taken up the Bible and actually reading the Bible from a perspective where I'm actually looking for the God that I knew before I was introduced to the Bible. Um, but then a few years ago, I had the fantastic privilege of going to Waitangi with a um, with a group of youth workers and sitting on the morai there and one of the kamatua shares something which just like was a light bulb moment for me he was saying that the reason that the christian story resonated so strongly with the maori people was that when the first missionaries came and started talking about this god the maori people were going yeah we know that god he was here before you got here He's always been here. And the way that he described it was like, and I've shared this before, it was like a mountaintop, and God is on top of the mountaintop. The Māori were looking at God from this side. The Europeans are looking from God from this side. They're looking at the same God, but the way they interpreted it and the way they, um, way they lived that relationship with God was, was different. And um, I think that's why I've enjoyed reading the Scriptures since, because this is freedom now to read the Scriptures, but... Um, but not, um, not pick out the bits and ignore the other bits, but be able to know that um, 
that it's going to speak to you where you are and it's going to bring life to you where you are. And you can feel free to disagree with other people as long as that you're looking at the same God on the top of the mountaintop. I'm loving hearing all this stuff, um, being able to hear the Bible as an indigenous document. And um, Chris, I, I grew up in a Catholic family, um, which has a completely different way of reading the Bible. It's not kind of, you know, versed in exactly that, a big mystical kind of magical way, um, which kind of works in some ways and doesn't. And then I got involved with uh, Karen, and Karen's sort of from a evangelical ISCF kind of background and got into sort of ISCF and it really didn't work for me where you look at every single verse and say I, I can't handle God look down on, on, on the Egyptians and said I will win glory that, that's, that's not God and I, I, it just didn't work for me um, and I distinctly remember being kicked out of many things including uh, a tear fund um, interview we were trying to get to for pretty much saying exactly what you said Malcolm um, there's this big picture that in the hermeneutics of the Bible, there's also friends and there's Lord of the Rings and there's going out for a run and going for a mountain and meeting God in many different ways. And I said that, to, and the guy said, oh, you need to get more mature in your faith, which means your faith isn't, isn't like mine, so you're out. Um, and I'm loving it that we can have this discussion here where everything's in and we're all in. And bottom line, I think the reason we're all in is because we've got relationships with each other. Um, and it's a really great place to start. Great. What was it? Ah, they're okay. Yeah. It's not every day a woman asks me about my legs for a shower. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a little. Um, thanks, everybody, for, for coming and, and sharing just... As a community, you know, all of us is wiser than one of us. You know, there's, there's, there's gathered wisdom, wisdom gathered from years of journeying here. And it's lovely just to hear. Thank you for those of you who have shared insights and learnings and, and uh, encouragements with us. It's really, really special. Um, Rob, I think we'll just go with one of those. Guide me other great Jehovah. No, the other one? Oh, that's only because it's your favorite, though, isn't it? <laughs> now we can go with the other one, um, and let's um, so let's stand. We'll finish um, after this uh, waiata, this song, with our benediction.
You are God's servants, gifted with dreams and visions. Upon you rest the grace of God like flames of fire. Love and serve the Lord in the strength of the Spirit. May the peace of Christ be with you. The strong arms of God sustain you, and the power of the Holy Spirit strengthen you in every way. Amen. Amen there. Uh, go in peace.